Hi, I'm Julie. I'm Kristen. And I'm Kate. Welcome to Season 2 of Topical Island. In every episode, we'll dive into a new topic. From the morbid to the magnificent. The heartfelt to the ridiculous. Join us as each week we take you to a different topical island. Hello, ladies, and hello, island hoppers, and welcome to a new episode, a new day. Uh, How's everyone doing? Julie, what's up? Hi. Um... What's up? Well, I have, you know, we are having a Chinook out here, which means that we're getting some warm winter winds, which is lovely. So it makes it a little bit easier to go outside. Mm -hmm. And I, you know what I, to tack on a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the library and how it's my new favorite place. Yeah. Did you know that now when you buy the current e-readers, they have an app on them so that basically you can just borrow straight from your library onto your e-reader. Amazing. It's so cool. And it's still, you still have a lit time limit on it, right? Because I think that yeah. libraries have like licenses and everything on things. That's like exactly a right. number of licenses. Yeah. So it works just like borrowing a library book, but, um, but it just automatically downloads on your e-reader, which is super cool. That's amazing. I did want to follow up on another thing that you just brought up, which was that you've been outside. And I was curious if you had maintained your outdoor hour. I, I have not been keeping count, okay. but you know what? To be fully transparent, I could probably figure it out, which means it hasn't been that much. <laughs> <laughs> and that for our listeners who um, didn't hear, I the goal for the year was to spend 500 hours outside. And I, I don't think I'm on track, but it is January, February. So this is not... Right. This isn't the time to get the time in. The mm-hmm. ideal time, unless I want to start taking up cross-country skiing, which a person could and probably should, but haven't yet (laughs) how about you Kate what's up well on the heels of you being transparent about your outdoor time goal I will let you know that we are not even a week into February yet and fit February has been a bit of a mixed bag (laughs) (laughs) so for those who didn't hear I decided that I would like to continue on my dry January journey with a fit February and it it, in some aspects it's been really great I've gotten some great workouts in however last week a package arrived from my mom who is the best mom in the world and it's a Valentine's Day package and it's full of goodies for the family which the family never saw the light yes (laughs) I love that (laughs) and it was you know there were she sent some cute valentine's day clothing and and stuff like that for my daughter and and you know some some gift cards and and then for each of us of which there are three she sent a novelty very large reese's peanut butter cup chocolate bar comes in a nice Mm. little two from um all three are gone and my husband and my daughter didn't even know they existed (laughs) so So that's where we're at. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to go for it. Like Julie was saying, it's a Chinook. So I'm going to go for a nice, uh, get a nice long run in this afternoon and, you know, back on track. That's awesome. That's yes. And um, yes, I hope your husband's not a listener. Let's put it that way. What about you, Kristen? Do you have any uh, confessions you'd like to make? Do you know what's so funny is that I do. Yes! That was what I was actually, (laughs) I literally had planned to do a confession. I was going to be like, now I'm going to tell you more about my failed New Year's goals. (laughs) So I um, signed up. I think I just signed up for too many things in January. Now, I didn't do it with the intention of like 
doing anything in particular. I just thought they all sounded cool. So in addition to me uh, wanting to do the yoga with Adrian, 30 days, I also signed up for the self magazine, like 30 day challenge or whatever. And so I was getting emails every day from self, which I love. I actually, I follow them on Instagram. It's a really, I like the magazine because it's like about fitness, but also health. Like it's a pretty holistic kind of, um, they provide a lot of great information, but mm. I kind of follow them because there's this couple, they're called um, Justin and Taylor. And they have do, have developed this fitness program called Lit Fitness. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's amazing. And so they actually get fe- featured a lot in like Pop Sugar. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but they, they partnered with um, Self Magazine for this challenge. And so they weren't every day, but they were every few days. And so they have these 30 minute workouts. They're on Instagram and they're awesome. And so their whole thing is they both like had suffered injuries at a certain point. And basically kind of like, I, I feel, I feel like it's perfect for me because it gets your heart rate up like amazingly, but it's really easy on your joints. Okay. And then on the most recent workout that I saw, the girl is actually from Edmonton. So I was like, well, that's weird. Cause they're in like LA. They have this whole studio now, everything like that. But yeah, she's, she's from Edmonton. So if anyone, I'm sure there's people out there who, you know, are always looking for ones that are like where you still get a really good workout, but it's easy on your joints. I would suggest checking them out. Cool. I will. That sounds yeah. really neat. Now, yeah. what? But what exactly is your confession? Yeah. You. <laughs> oh, my confession is I I'm signed up for I also signed up for that self magazine 30 day challenge and I I think I did like only their workouts and I didn't like I just didn't follow it either. Oh, okay. Well, so that was my other January challenge that I modified modified, modified yeah. to fit your life. <laughs> There you go. But like very much so. I think I did two of their workouts and I continue to, but like I did, I didn't follow it. I'm sorry, Self Magazine, if you're listening, <laughs> which I'm sure you are. Um, anyways, although I, I'm still proud of all of us, I think we're all still doing a great job. And uh, Julie, uh, where are you taking us today? So I'm going to take you into the forest today. Um, yes. No, I'm sure you two have noticed, and and I'd love to hear any anecdotes you have, that there's sort of this resurgence in some old-timey hobbies and, uh, you know, I hear more about people making their own sauerkraut or foraging for mushrooms or doing some, like, old-school activities or kind of, kind of hip. Oh, God. I'm clearly hip, if I'm saying hip. (laughs) Um, uh, I, you know, people drive, ride those silly old bicycles. Like there's just sort of this movement happening. Yeah, sure. I, I'm, I, I hear you. I'm picking up what you're putting down. (laughs) Is this what I'm saying? Making sense? Yeah. I know that like I work with some people who spend an exorbitant amount of money at the farmer's market on bone broth. And I just want to tell everyone you can make your own bone broth if you have a bone it's the easiest thing in the world. Don't spend $20 on a pouch of bone broth. That's okay. just my PSA for the day. And, but I, I do see that. And so um, one of the things that is taking off is people are starting to forage again and specifically Ooh. looking at mushrooms. Now, oh, yeah. Um, right off the I've hop, been doing that. you have been doing that? Yeah. Oh, you did do that. That's right in PEI. <laughs> Oh. I was foraging for chanterelle mushrooms and uh, learning about what to look for in them and 
Because yeah, you. I think I think growing up, especially in the city, you're just told like stay away from stay mushrooms. Away from a right. mushroom. <laughs> and there's really good reasons for that, right? Like there's a yeah. really good reason that we're told if you don't know what you're looking for, don't do it. Right. Um, yeah. You know, similar to berries in many ways. And it, you know, anecdotally, I think it's so funny because. To me, I have spent my whole life picking blueberries. I know exactly what to look for. I, mm-hmm. I I trust myself implicitly. If I see a blueberry, I will pick it and eat it. And I've taught my daughter a little bit of that as well. But my husband does not like that because he can't, he doesn't know how to identify those things on his own because he didn't grow up with it. And so mm-hmm. he's very, like, just really freaked out that she would pick a blueberry and it not be a blueberry and she get very ill or worse. Right. Right. Which is totally fair. But through the learning and passing down of these old um, customs, we're also starting to learn some of the stories that kind of go with them and maybe explain some of our our traditions. So I want to talk to you specifically about the Amida muscaria mushroom. Now, I know you both are familiar with Nintendo, Mario from Nintendo, the little red mushroom. So Mm -hmm. imagine a white stem, red cap with white dots. Mm -hmm. That's the Amida muscaria. It's, you know, it's kind of when you're, if you were just drawing a mushroom, you might just draw that, even though you maybe have never seen that, that particular mushroom in the forest, but it's kind of this archetype of mushrooms, if you will. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't have even necessarily guessed it was a real mushroom. I thought it was just like a cartoon mushroom. Well, it's based (laughs) on a real mushroom and, um, yeah. And it's found in Arctic regions and in Mongolia and it's a real mushroom and it does have it can be poisonous if, if you were just to eat it raw, but if prepared properly, it does have hallucinogenic properties. Mm. Oh. Yeah. So the way it grows is underneath conifer and birch trees, and it has a symbiotic relationship with their root systems. So imagine a nice big pine or spruce tree or a birch tree, and then underneath are these beautiful, perfect little red mushrooms that with their little white dots on top. And it's just, you know, if you, it's almost kind of magical. You might, in fact, you might, in fact, imagine maybe some little, a sprightly little elf that could live under these, under these mushrooms. Yeah. Well, I have to say, as you're describing it, I'm just imagining Alice in Wonderland type of. A type of mushroom. Yes. So um, it was known in, especially in Mongolia, the shamans would take it and prepare this mushroom and and ingest it and kind of go on a trip, if you will. And one of the most common sensations that you get when you take the Amida muscaria, when it's prepared properly mushroom, is the mm-hmm. sense of flying. Hmm. So to prepare the mushroom, uh, the shamans would take, again, imagine these bright red with white dot mushrooms and hang them in a pine tree to dry. Has to be a pine tree. I would pick up any coniferous tree. (laughs) Gotcha. So uh, an evergreen tree because, and and they were picked usually in late fall, early winter and hanging them to dry. So imagine if you will, an evergreen tree decorated with little red and white ornaments. Cute. Cute, right? Is this where the Christmas tree came from? Well... (gasps) Let me tell you more about these mushrooms. Please do. So it was also known that the shamans 
would dry them and keep a sack of these mushrooms to feed their reindeer. What? <gasps> They're Santa Claus? Is this where Santa Claus came from? <laughs> I am just providing some facts and do with it as you will. But mm -hmm. yes, so imagine we have the imagery of red and white parcels growing under a tree. And then we have red and white ornaments dangling from a tree. We have sprightly shamans who often wore red and white and some happy, jaunty reindeer who have ingested this mushroom. And it makes them float. Exactly. It makes them fly. Exactly, that sensation of that, the most common hallucinogenic sensation with these mushrooms is that they could fly. So fascinating. So sorry, what time period are we talking about? We're talking hundreds of years ago. That said, and and specifically in um, northern in Mongolia, that's where a lot of this is coming from. But we see similar stories out of um, like Sweden and Norway and other northern regions where this particular mushroom grew. Now it's said that the shamans, right around the winter solstice, would ingest the mushrooms and go house to house passing out the dried mushrooms as a gift to the members of their community. <laughs> and they're all getting high together? Supposedly. Well, it was it was uh, consumed in the same way we might imbibe at Christmas time, right? You oh, okay, might have okay. a lot of some wine. They would have a little bit of mushroom and go for okay. their little flight. I feel and like <laughs> you're about to tell me that they also invented dry January. <laughs> So uh, supposedly, because of the high the high uh, snow drifts, it was very common that a shaman would actually have to drop the mushrooms down through a window to get Julie, into people's too much. homes. Get out of here! <laughs> so I'll you know I will quote Carl Ruck, who's a professor of classics at the Boston University. Mm -hmm. Amongst the Siberian shamans, you have an animal spirit you can journey with in your vision quest. And reindeer are a common and familiar to the people in eastern Siberia. I will also quote anthrop anthropologist John Rush, who wrote an entire um, book on mushrooms and mushroom lore. So mm -hmm. why do people bring pine trees into their houses at the winter solstice, placing brightly colored packages under the bows as gift to show their love for each other? Is it because underneath the pine bow is the exact location where you would find the very sacred Amanita mascara mushroom in the wild? He says it's more than a coincidence. And as the story goes, up until a few hundred years ago, these practicing shamans or priests connected to the older traditions would collect the Amanita muscaria, he calls it the holy mushroom, dry them in trees and give them as gifts on the winter solstice. Because snow is usually blocking doors, there was an opening in the roof through which people entered and exit, thus the chimney story. I have the biggest smile on my face and I'm I'm not sure why. I just I love this so much. Well, and as you start to like as I started to think about it and I have some great images that um we'll post on our Instagram feed. Picture that little those little mushrooms and there's a little elf with a white beard and he's kind of like jauntily hanging out under the mushrooms. Like there's a lot of imagery 
that I had never kind of thought, oh, well, maybe there's some relation to Santa Claus and or Christmas. I mean, this was just some other traditions that were happening around that winter, winter solstice. And I think I'm going to I'm going to put it out there. I think it's definitely a possibility that a lot of this was incorporated mixed in with, you know, we're all familiar with uh, St. Nicholas. And it was mm-hmm. kind of we've kind of got this hybrid now of who Santa is and what that represents. And I think some of it could be all tied back to this little red mushroom. Yeah. So cool. Does this research come like when you're talking about these gentlemen who are having these quotes about it Mm -hmm. were they like did it begin with searching for the origins of santa or was it they were researching these ancient shamans or so with um the anthropologist john rush he Mm -hmm. his primary interest is in mushrooms in general and just Mm -hmm. sort of um as I mentioned, you know, because there's a resurgence in interest in in some of these older traditions lately, and I there has also been a lot more uh, medicinal use of you know things like magic mushrooms, or right, right. now that they've kind of are able to discern in our because modern science needed to know exactly what the chemicals were, <laughs> and and you know we couldn't just trust the the traditions of the past, but I think as right. that um, as that information is becoming more we're getting more used to the idea in our western culture of maybe ingesting some of this for medicinal uses that research right. lent itself to kind of finding some of these old s- stories because yeah. they're you know kind of mythology or folklore and and then it was kind of like well gosh doesn't that just sound like santa claus and his flying reindeer yeah and like so maybe coca-cola didn't invent santa claus maybe coca-cola <laughs> didn't invent santa claus and I also thought it was really interesting, um, unrelated to the the what the articles that either of these gentlemen were quoted in, is that in Germany, they call it the lucky mushroom. And it's very common to put a little glass, uh, red topped mushroom with white dots on your Christmas tree. And it's called the lucky mushroom. Glückler Plus. Uh, which is okay. the German word meaning lucky mushroom. And oh. you've there and it's just a common ornament that you put on your tree. That's so neat. And I wonder if like it's probably gotten to the point where people just have accepted that and have no idea why they even put this ornament on the tree. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just oh, it's like so per, some people put a lucky pillow, lucky the, not a lucky pickle. The, the <laughs> pickle. pickle, yeah. Find yes. the pickle. Yeah. Well, there's also a lucky mushroom, but it very likely has its roots in these um these shamans who were, you know, drying mushrooms and and getting festive around the winter solstice, passing them along and it's very, yeah, and I think that it's super possible that mm-hmm. our idea of Santa Claus and the concept of the reindeer, because I've always been kind of curious, like, when did the flying reindeer become part of it? Um, yeah. One of the first kind of uh, tales that I've heard that involved reindeer, because reindeers are known to ingest these mushrooms. Still in modern times, they might seek them out themselves. And they do kind of get like, kind of prancy, <laughs> if you will, um, <laughs> once they once they ingest them. Do any of these practices exist to any degree now? So not really. That said, um, there is practices now of taking the mushrooms, drying them out, heating them to the appropriate level for ingestion to mm-hmm. induce like some hallucination or they're, 
kind of like people take magic mushrooms for whatever reason. Right. Um, I don't know that we're seeing it in medicinal, like you might see it in more homeopathic medicinal use, but um, mm-hmm. I would say that it's a bit on the fringe. No, it's not common now for people to deliver them to their whole community around the winter solstice. Through the chimney. But the stories continue. Yeah. So an alternate an alternate history to Santa and his reindeer. So interesting. I buy it. And now I buy it too. And um, now I'm going through the reindeer's names thinking maybe that's, <laughs> those were the personalities that came out once they had eaten these mushrooms. Maybe. You know? Kind of like how Snow White and those dwarves Ixen. was. Yeah. Blitz, Blitzen. 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 <laughs> so cool. I, I. I think this one might not be correct, but um, when the Amanita muscaria is growing, it has this, it obviously has a red head. So some people have even attributed Rudolph's red nose to the Amanita muscaria. Okay. I mean, it's all just tales. Take with it, take, you know, a handful of salt with it. But I mean, gosh, isn't that, it's just so fitting that yeah. you know the red and white coloring the passing of gifts the decorations on a tree the decorations beneath the gifts beneath the tree i thought it was just mm-hmm. all the flying the flying mm-hmm. ra- and the reindeer and the association with association to reindeer sorry the red and white outfit mm-hmm. <laughs> keep using silly words but uh like is that there was that like a shaman there was some kind of a clothing that they would all wear yes now there's varying um, records on this, but it is definitely said that the shaman would commonly wear red and white clothing when they did their, uh, in general, um, just mm-hmm. because they kind of as an homage almost to um, the mushroom because they they had so much oh. uh, respect for it. Oh, wow. Take with it what you will. As I say, there's no, I'm not suggesting, you know, we should all pass this as fact, but there are a lot of facts associated with this mushroom that I think lend mm-hmm. itself well to some a really good story and real possibility of where um, some of our current traditions have come from. Definitely. Totally. Well, and it's like you said, when the when you're passing on those traditions generation to generation and often through storytelling, how easy is it to, you know, kind of blend and mesh and come up with what we now have today? Yeah, exactly. Through a multitude of origins. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Well, Julie, that's going to, I mean, I was just thinking, as you were saying that at the end, that's good Julie party fodder. I was thinking the (laughs) same thing. (laughs) Julie has said a few times that she likes to, you know, drop some, yeah, drop, as I try not to say that, but I guess you've said that out out loud. So yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's another really good one to add. And I, that's that's really cool. Thanks so much for sharing that, Julie. Kate, do you have a good news story for us? Yeah, I do. This came about, I was listening to the radio recently, and there was, I, for, I honestly forget if it was a pro- program or if it was just a segment or if it was just radio DJs bantering and asking for input from the listeners, but they were talking about regretful tattoos and getting oh. them covered up. <laughs> So, of course, very interesting topic. Neither of you have tattoos, right? Nope, I don't. I have a, I have a few, and there are certainly a couple that are a bit stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't say I regret any of them, but I was 
I was young for at least one of them. You wouldn't necessarily get them again. I wouldn't necessarily get them again. (laughs) But one of the callers in was actually a tattoo artist who said, you wouldn't believe some of the things I've seen, but also mentioned that he offers to cover up any racist or hate or gang-related tattoos that people have got for free. Wow. Which I thought was so cool. And so this was, it was a Calgary artist and I could not find who they were or where their shop was. But what I did find was out of Edmonton, there apparently, when I did, you know, Google this to see if I could find out a little more, there was, I think it's a, it's pretty common offering um, among tattoo artists, which I think is an amazing thing to do. And there was an article about an artist in Edmonton who posted on Instagram, you know, just because maybe people didn't know. And um, it was in the wake of, you know, he said he was inspired by Black Lives Matter and then in the wake of George Floyd's murder. So during the over the pandemic, he had posted on Instagram that he wanted to offer cover-ups for racist or gang-related ink, and he would do that for free. And included in that article was there was at least one person who took him up on it and was featured in this. So I just thought that was, uh, I just thought that was really cool. A really cool thing of the tattoo artist to offer. And, you know, in, in the article, it said, you know, we're just trying to do our part in erasing hate from the world one tattoo Mm. at a time and quite literally hey wow yeah and to do it without judgment too right to offer it for free like to know that somebody is coming in to do the right thing um right you know they perhaps made mistakes yeah so the Edmonton artist uh, if I didn't mention the name is Shan Clayton and uh he works at the Fountainhead Tattoo Studio. So shout out to to him and the awesome work that he's doing. Awesome. That's that is excellent news. There's good people out in the world, but we already knew that. <laughs> but Julie, Kate, and Island Hoppers, did you find what you were looking for? 